Imagine getting up every day full of energy as if you were in your 20s again. What would that be like? What would that be worth to you? What is your health worth to you? Think about it. Your health isn't everything, but without it, everything else is nothing. And yet too many of us are taking it for granted until something goes wrong. No one wakes up hoping to be diagnosed with a disease or chronic illness. And yet we've never been taught how to be proactive in our health through our school system or public health. As a registered health coach and integrative health practitioner, I believe it is time this information is made available to everyone. Combining new knowledge around your health and the ability to do my functional medicine lab tests in the comfort of your own home will allow you to optimize your health for today and all your tomorrows. Don't wait for your wake up call. Welcome back to another episode of the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I am Melissa Dealey, your host, and today I have Dr. James Chestnut with me, and I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome, Dr. James. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I'd love to introduce you to the audience, and you have such a long list of qualifications to your <laughs> name, and I want to share these because I think it really sets the stage for people understanding the depth of knowledge that you have when it comes to talking about health and wellness and the impact of lifestyle on our health and wellness. So uh, Dr. James has his, ma uh, his Bachelor of Physical Education as well as Master's of Science in Exercise Physiology with a spe specialization in neuromuscular adaptation. He is a doctor of chiropractic. He is the developer and lead instructor of the ICA Postgraduate Chiropractic and Lifestyle Certification Program. He is also the author of five books, mostly educating other chiropractors. However, his latest book, Live Right for Your Species Type, is for the general public and based on lifestyle and epigenetic expression and health. He is also the president and head of research evidence-based chiropractic and lifestyle protocols, as well as the president and head of research and product development innate choice wellness nutrition and he has received numerous awards including the 2022 ICA chiropractic pioneer award for his significant lifetime contribution in advancing the field of evidence-based chiropractic and lifestyle he holds the position of chair of the international chiropractors council on evidence-based chiropractic and lifestyle he is a member of the ICA committee for postgrad education and he's on the Clinical Advisory Panel of the Australian Spinal Research Foundation and an adjunct professor at the Barcelona College of Chiropractic. And that isn't even everything, but those were the things that I pulled out. And what I particularly love and that you don't even know about me is that I'm originally Australian, so that connection to Australia ah. is very cool. And I'm in Whistler, BC, and in listening to you on other people's podcasts, I found out in one of those episodes, you are also in British Columbia in Victoria. And I thought that was a super cool connection. So thank you for so graciously offering your time to be on this show. And I would love to just dive in with getting started in you sharing your thoughts on where we're at in the world today with near epidemic levels of chronic illness and how our medical system is failing us and the fact that humans are the sickest species on earth. And you don't look at things from a typical 
pathological perspective, you're looking at it from a biological perspective. And share your thoughts and how you look at things differently. Sure. Well, I mean, the 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 irony is, is that um, the only people who look at it differently are, are, are people who are trained in allopathy. Um, you know, the, the medical viewpoint of health is, is very unique. It's outside of biology. Um, in biology, we never blame genes for a species becoming sick or endangered. And in fact, in, in the history of species on earth, as I always say, there's never been a single species on earth that's become, you know, uh, ma- ma- you know, uh, massively chronically ill or become endangered or gone extinct because of genes, not one genes right. get, I mean, genetics 101 is that through natural selection, genes get better within a species over time, not worse. So we never blame genes for massive, you know, for pandemic levels of chronic illness. There are genetic illnesses they are very rare. They occur in nature as well. Um, in all species. Um, but, um, they're incredibly rare. They could never be blamed for pandemic levels of anything because they're because genetic illnesses are so rare. So the interesting perspective is, I guess, and again, I I often um, you know point out that I was I was raised um, on a farm and I was raised by a PhD biologist, uh, fisheries biologist. So you know I I kind of had that that paradigm my my whole life. Um, the epiphany for me was when I started to apply it to humans, to the human species, when I. When I asked the same questions about the human about human health that I that we I've been you know been learning to ask about uh, other species health, it just became so obvious about why why humans were sick and and just how wrong the entire sickness care system is and the paradigm is is that they they assume that people are sick because they have a defect. They've never found such a defect, by the way, never. Right. So when people go in and they're told you have high blood pressure, you have high cholesterol, you have depression, you have anxiety, you have indigestion, you have acid reflux, you know, they they never, ever show you what your genetic defect is. They just try to convince you, right, because they're taught this way, that right. there must be something defective about you. Therefore, we have to regulate you with a drug, meaning a toxin that's designed to inhibit your brain's ability to control the body. That's what it, that's what drugs do. They inter they intervene in between, in, you know, your subconscious brain, your organ, master organ of regulation, self-regulation, and they intervene between there and, and, and one of the systems in your body. And they, and they actually stop your brain, brain's ability to control and regulate yourself because they've told you or believe that there's something defective about your ability to self-regulate, though they've never found any such defect ever. Right. Um, so the, the whole thing is court, is kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because they go, well, you know, people are defective. That's why so many people are sick. Um, you know, they actually, you know, you can sort of see why you could sort of believe well, that must be the case because so many people are sick. But of course, as I always point out, you know, people have listened to, I, I'm doing a lot of podcasts lately, but, but, but as I always point out, it's probably getting boring. But, you know, again, I'll just show like the genetic change in humans for 10,000 years is this, but let's forget that. Let's just talk about the last hundred years. Zero change in the human genome, absolutely exponential increase in chronic illness. So yeah. how is it possible, right, that this variable with no change could be responsible for this variable with exponential change? And so, of course, when you look at it with rational, logical, scientific, uh, through a, that paradigm, what you realize is that lifestyle change and habitat change has has mirrored the increase in chronic illness exactly no right. gene change right massive habitat and lifestyle change 
massive increase in chronic illness. So it is scientifically asinine to blame genes for the massive increases in diabetes, obesity, heart disease. I mean, do people actually believe that it, over a 10-year period there was just a massive sort of uh, uh, you know, genetic mutation that occurred simultaneously a, 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 across the industrial world? I mean, it makes no genetic sense. And so, I mean, I hope that answers your question, but yeah, so I do look at it differently. And um, interesting thing is, is that as soon as the people hear this, they all go, of course, right. nobody can argue this. I, it's not possible to debate this and win because, the, and, and by the way, the data is so clearly uh, pointed out in the peer-reviewed literature. It's just not pointed out in the medical literature. So people talk a lot about evidence-based medicine, but that doesn't exist. What really exists is medicine-based evidence. So they're always looking at ways they're, – they're always studying through their own paradigm. You know, I, we found a bunch of sick people, and we gave them a drug, and their blood pressure went down. Therefore, you know, they must have been defective, and the blood pressure pill actually lowered their, their blood pressure, so therefore they're better. And, you know, that's what they do. They never talk about what caused the high blood pressure because they assume presupposition is that it's a genetic defect, and those people are never healthier. So, so when people get diagnosed – and, and they're sick and they go into that system in five years time with all the best care that that money can buy they're not healthy they're not healthier in five years they're always sicker exactly into that system after five years and, and so that so what i like to point out is just just stop for a second and think about it because not because these people are stupid they're not they're not unintelligent no. and they're not and they're certainly i mean outside the pharmaceutical companies i don't believe they're immoral it's not that they don't care either so they're intelligent caring people for the most part yes right? They're humans but so they you know getting a medical degree doesn't make you more moral than anybody else it doesn't make you more honest than anybody else it doesn't make you more anything than anybody else it just gives you a, a certain training that's it right we've been brainwashed and lobbied to believe that it makes them special people they're not special people they're just people with specialized training yes right and so that's one thing, one myth we've got to get out of the way. So they're no better or worse than anybody else in terms of morality or integrity or, or anything else. But if you think about it, so these people who are obviously, you know, reasonably intelligent, obviously, um, reasonably caring, let's assume. But for 50 years, we've taken the, more money and invested it in, in, in research on drugs and surgeries with the best minds in that field making the most money in these research labs and for 50 years of bioaccumulated knowledge right we're at the point today after 50 years of spending more money on this every year for 50 years literally millions of research studies right being done all of the funding into all these universities all of these researchers funded millions of them for 50 all years around the world around the world for 50 years and we're at the point today where when you go into that system, after five years, you're worse. And that going for a walk is better than anything they can offer for chronic illness, according to the literature. So obviously, you know, no one's stepping back and saying, what are we doing wrong? What's wrong? Like, why, why won't they change course? And the reason they won't change course is because it's the, it's, it's a, it's a the Titanic. It's the, it's a massive freighter of monopoly and money and, and, you know, fraudulent cultural authority paid for by pharmaceutical companies who run the entire show. I mean, I don't want to get too deep down that rabbit hole, but it's just too hard to turn. And in fact, people like Dean Ornish, uh, people like uh, Rip, who, who created the, the American Journal of Family 
medicine or family or lifestyle medicine, sorry, American Journal of Lifestyle. They all just openly, openly admit this. They just go, they just don't teach it. They don't want to, they don't want to hear it. Um, they're so stuck in their ways that they never ask themselves, are we winning? Are we, are, are what is what we're doing successful? Are we preventing illness and are we returning sick people to health? And the answer on both is no. And so they just eat up more money every year. We spend more money and give more drugs per person every year for 75 years. And we have more sick people per capita now than we did when we started. The system is failing. I mean, astronomically failing by any measure, except how many people are employed by it and make a living from it. Yes, exactly. I always say big pharma cares more about shareholder profit than they do about human health. Well, they have to legally because they are publicly traded, which means that they are legally obligated to care more about profit. And of course, they're getting more and more in between the doctors and the patients because everything now is so homogeneous in terms of, you know, there's the Framingham chart. You do a blood test. The doctor doesn't do a blood test. The doctor sends you for a blood test. You get a blood test back. The doctor looks at the blood test and then looks at the Framingham chart and tells you what drug to take. I mean, literally, it, 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 there is very little doctoring anymore right. because everything is about a drug or surgery or yes. a special test for a special drug or surgery. So just imagine what you get when you go into that system. What are your choices? You're going to get a drug or surgery or radiation. Those are your three options. And literally, they now tell you that if that doesn't heal you, you can't be healed. This is how, this is how bizarre our world has become and how bought it's become. And they, they start with little kids. They teach little kids when you're sick, you go to a doctor and get a pill. It's just incredible. But we are now literally in a, in a, in a situation in our culture where people actually believe that if a, if a toxic drug or a surgery doesn't make you better, nothing can. I mean, I would think that in a century, we'll look back at this century uh, and just go, how did that happen? How is it possible that so many people believe something so biologically absurd for so long? And I, I you know, I'm obviously trying to create that understanding now but it's a it's an uphill battle because people are so indoctrinated it's a cult it is it absolutely is an uphill battle and that's why i'm so excited to have found you right here in the same province because this is my mission is to put an end to chronic illness and show people that there is another way and i realize my mission is completely aligned with what you're doing what you're teaching on a far greater scale but the more of us that are doing this the more people we can reach and have that ripple effect so there's an analogy that you use that is so simple and so obvious. And now I even understand why you use it. Cause you mentioned growing up on the farm with your dad as a biologist in a fish farm is you use a fish analogy. And I've also heard you use it with dogs. If a fish is sick, if a dog is sick, what is the first thing that we're looking at and asking? Yeah, of course. And so, I mean, when your dog throws up, the first question you ask is what did the dog eat that wasn't good for it? If you have a wilting plant, the first thing you think about is, Hmm, I wonder if that plant is getting enough water or enough sunlight. You never say to yourself, that plant must be genetically defective. Clearly, all plants are, are, are going to wilt because they're genetically defective. And the only way to fix that plant is to some kind of surgery where we inject it with plastic or some kind of drug to put into the soil, right? 
And so we, we've just been trained to see ourselves as outside of biology, right? So there's restaurants that say no animals allowed, and they're full of humans. We say we do animal studies, but humans are animals. We're mammals. We, we, we are governed by the exact same biological and physiological laws as every other species on Earth. We are a mammalian animal species, period. But, you know, we, you know, even, and, and I've been to school many, many years, and I can tell you that, you know, I could, I could study the, the, the physiology of a, of a single-celled amoeba in the same class as a chimpanzee. But if I wanted to study human physiology, I had to go to a different department because we separated completely humans from the rest of the animal kingdom, which is absurd beyond belief. But we also treat humans now completely separately from how we would restore health in any other species, unless the animals are in a zoo. Now they're giving gorillas cholesterol pills. I mean, it's just it's beyond belief. But and so so once people kind of understand that that. Um, they are a wild animal living in captivity. That's what we are. The industrial world is, is, the, is, you know, cities aren't the concrete jungle. They're the human zoo. And once people realize that there are these, these laws that we have to follow if we want to ex epigenetically express healthy structure and function and that these laws are set and they're the same laws that are set for every other species. And once you understand that and then follow those laws, health is really simple. Sickness can be complicated. But health is extraordinarily simple, which is why our ancestors who didn't know what a cell was, who didn't know what cholesterol was, who didn't know what blood pressure was, all the other animals on earth that don't know what any of these things are, they're all healthier than us by a mile because health is very simple. You, you, you just live right for your species type and you will express your health potential. It's, it's, it's law. And recognize that when we have symptoms of anything, that that's the time to get curious. What's going on? Why do I have this symptom? What can I do about it? As opposed to accepting that, oh, or blaming genes, as you've said, or accepting that, oh, it's aging and we're supposed to feel worse as we get older and doing nothing about it until we feel really worse and then go to the doctor or blaming it on seasonal allergies or something else that we want to blame it on. We have all of, we've been conditioned by so many societal thoughts that have now become the norm that we don't stop to think for ourselves and ask what is going on for me? What's changed? What do I need to do to bring my body back into balance? Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is again, it's, it's very, um, I mean, you're exactly right. But, but again, it's still very focused on um, uh, when I get a symptom and I'm like, well, first of all, most things are happening long before you get a symptom. And the other thing is, is that it's, it's actually a very difficult question to answer because People, when they get a symptom, it's very often because of a bioaccumulation that's occurred for a decade or more. And so it's not simple to answer why I have a symptom, but it's very simple to answer why you're not well. And that's because you have not been eating well, moving well, or thinking well for a period of time, period. That's it. You have toxicity or deficiency. Those are the only two causes of any illness in any living thing. And so, and usually, you know, it bioaccumulates um, over time. But the, but the real question everybody should be asking long before they get a symptom and, and, and especially like teaching their children is what is required for me to express my potential for healthy structure and function and to have a wonderful, high quality, high energy, um, you know, high joy, high fitness life. And, and you don't want to be asking that question when you're sick. You want to be asking that question from birth onward, which is what all our ancestors an asked and, and answered. And so, um, you know, 
I, I just one, one of the challenges is just to just highly encourage people to ask the right question. And the right question is, what do I need to do to express my potential for a wonderful life? Because you can't have a wonderful life without wonderful health. Right. And you can't have wonderful health without wonderful food and wonderful exercise and wonderful, you know, self-esteem and love and, you know, hard work and integrity and honesty. Like all there are certain requirements um, that are necessary to express well-being. And that was the question I asked. Right. That's what made everything that I've written about and studied and researched differently was not was not the fact that I came up with all the answers. I just came up with a really good question. Right. Which is what is required for humans to express their health potential? It's a very different question than trying to treat sickness. And then, so, so I always say there are the two most important questions. And I, I started asking and looking for answers for these decades ago, which was, you know, you know, why are humans so sick? And what is required for humans to get and stay well? And those are the two ultimate questions. But I will say this, that if you answer the first question incorrectly, why are humans sick? You will never answer the second question correctly. Right. So when we ask in medicine, allopathic medicine, when they ask why are humans sick, they'll say because they have a genetic defect or they have a defective ability to regulate their own anatomy and physiology, right? They can't regulate their own bone density. They can't regulate their own hearts. They can't regulate their own moods. They can't regulate their own hormones. They can't regulate their own blood pressure or cholesterol or blood sugar or body weight, which is provably false. Humans are absolutely capable of self-regulation. Um, so they answer that question incorrectly, and because they answer that question incorrectly, everything they do is based on that incorrect presupposition, which is why they're failing so miserably, right? They've asked the wrong question. They've got the right answers to the wrong question. They're smart, but their paradigm is wrong. They don't understand. They don't see humans as an animal species, and they don't apply the biological laws to humans like, you know, people, you know, biologists do to every other living organism. Exactly right. And I want to go back to something that you said early there, just about what is it required to be healthy, to be my best self and live my best life. I hear people say all the time, it's too hard to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And I love How hard is it to be sick is what I always ask. That's my always my question. Is it easy to be sick? You're used to it, but is it easy? Like, do you really, is it easy being sick? I can't imagine, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish sickness on my worst enemy, but even the sick people who say it's too hard would wish well-being and health on everybody they love. So what a silly thing to say there. That's mental illness, right? That's mental illness. So when people say that it's mental illness, it means that, that they're not thinking properly. They, they are literally either so drugged or so, you know, high on sugar and, you know, like, and, and so depressed or whatever else that they're literally saying, you know, that they would wish upon themselves something they wouldn't wish on their children. But everybody wants to be healthy. And if you don't, you're mentally ill, period. You need help with the think well. I mean, sometimes that's where we have to start, right? Sometimes we have to get people, the first thing we have to work on is their, is their attitude and their belief systems because we can have faulty belief systems because there's so much misinformation out there. As if being healthy is hard. How absurd. You know, really. Yet, I agree with you 100%. And yet that's what so many people believe because sure. that is the belief system. So 
let's let's talk about that too is belief systems and that connection to behavior change because that's something that I work on through my NLP, my timeline therapy and hypnotherapy with my clients. I know it's an area you focus on as well because it's such a key piece to people being able to move into a place of health. So I'd love for you to talk about that connection between beliefs and behavior change. Sure. So, so unless anybody is a hundred percent satisfied where they are, anything that they want differently requires change, right? So any progress requires change. So change is, is everything in any sort of, you want to change your finances, you need to change. If you want to change your health, you need to change. You want to change your parenting, you need to change. I mean, everything requires change, right? This It's the one constant that changes daily. Yes. I say so, but very few people have, have a skill set that's that that cha- that that allows them to engage in change. They don't understand how to program their own beliefs because beliefs always drive our behavior, always. And so, if you work on behaviors instead of beliefs, it's it's a, it it takes an enormous amount of willpower, and the failure rate is is, I mean, it's almost inevitable, right? And so, that's the first thing that people understand is is that they have to have to understand what their own beliefs are. And then they have to realize that they can reprogram those beliefs with accurate information and, and healthy and healthy information. So most people are walking around, like you said, most people believe it's too hard to be healthy or they believe that they're genetically defective or they believe that they just can't regulate their own bodies. Or there's a million things people believe that, or they believe that exercise is awful instead of joyful or they, you know, there's just a million things. So, you know, that's really key is, is that, um, that, that if, if you're in the business that you and I are in, which is getting getting sick people well or keeping healthy people healthy it, it's is that what you realize is that and at the end of the day it's all about behaviors it's all about behavior choice and then if you just learn a little bit more about that then you what you realize is you probably start out like i did or maybe you're smarter than me but i i started out with with knowledge thinking that if i told people all the knowledge i could show them all the evidence and how terrible this food was for them and prove it to them, how it could lead to cancer, diabetes, obesity, you know, tooth decay, depression, anxiety, low sex drive, you know, all of it. And then I could show them the healthy foods and the healthy exercise and the healthy thought patterns. And I could draw out, I mean, I'm a physiologist. I can draw out the physiological pathways between unhealthy foods and all chronic illness and healthy foods and reversing that or, or, or expressing health. I've got more knowledge. I mean, I've had many people tell me, dude, too much knowledge. You, you like, you, you know, you, you, and what I realized when I started was I thought that if people learned the truth and I could prove to them that I was right, that the knowledge was, you know, that eating, moving and thinking about was the only solution to prevent and cure chronic illness. Um, I thought they would change. But what I realized was that that was only true for a certain percentage of people. And then, and then, uh, in fact, I was talking about this on a podcast the other day. Um, and then I, I came across the the um, um, readiness for change scale, which really just blew my mind at, at, because what I realized was, um, you know, that's the key is the key is to learn how to create a readiness to change for people. And you're going to engage some people who are at zero and some are at five. And the ones that are at five, when you tell them the truth, they change. Or they get right. scared, right? They get cancer and they stop smoking. Other people smoke through a hole in their throat after they get cancer, right? So right. why? Difference in readiness to change. And what really determines the readiness to change? It's their beliefs. Right. Their internal dialogue. And you're, you're NLP, so so you get it. There's a great book, NLP and Health. That's a really interesting book. Um, 
And so that's what I, you know, that's what I learned um, after a lot of trial and error. What, what I probably maybe 10, 12, maybe more years ago now, I realized, wait a minute, I've got to become a be a, a change expert. I've got to help. I've got to provide people with a skill set um, that allows them to reprogram their own beliefs and create better behaviors. And that was key. I mean, that was a real key to my lectures, to everything, because, um, you know, knowledge alone is going to work for about 10% of people probably. And, and the rest of them really need some help with, with how to get themselves to, to, to because what, what happens is, is that, you know, once you become a chronic exerciser, I mean, you would just be devastated if I tried to take it away from you. Mm-hmm. Right. But yes. if you're a chronic couch sitter, you feel devastated if I tell you you have to go for a walk. What's the difference? And the difference is how you view exercise, your belief about it, what you attach to it, what matters to you, what you anchor to it as an NLP. You'll know that. So the, the things that we anchor to, are, that's really what we believe, right? And and so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a tremendously important part. In fact, I, I always debated whether do I call it think well, eat well, move well, but eat well, move well, think well just seemed to, to go, go well. That's why I put it in a circle because they're all right. so intricately related, right? They're in an indissoluble union. And same with what I've been teaching practitioners all over the world for these almost, gosh, is it 30, 20 something years, um, is that, you know, what module did I teach first, right? And so um, I always thought, well, if I teach think well first, that, you know, that would really set the stage. But the truth is, is that the knowledge that I would share in, in, in the paradigm and the eat, eating and the moving just to show them that beyond any reasonable doubt that the knowledge was accurate, mm-hmm. I found then it was a little bit easier to, to get them to, to reprogram their belief systems with that accurate knowledge. Do you currently work with clients through some aspect of transformation in their lives, whether it be in their health, their relationships, their business, their careers? And would you like to be able to help them achieve their goals even more quickly with powerful tools? In fact, the most powerful mind-body tools on the planet? If so, you're going to want to know about this training course that I am running starting in October, at the end of October. It is the eight-day mind-body practitioner training, which will train you at the practitioner level in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, which works with the unconscious mind as we rewire their strategies, their patterns, etc., to get them to break through and get the transformation they're looking for. We also work with timeline therapy, which again is working with the unconscious mind as we release limiting beliefs, as well as detox the body of stored negative emotion, as well as working with hypnotherapy, a powerful tool for changing behaviors and creating the life that somebody wants with these new behaviors and an NLP coaching designation, which is on par with the international uh, Federation of Coaching ICF certification and once designated your certifications or designations are recognized in 42 countries around the world. If you'd like to learn more about how you can bring these tools into your toolbox in order to have greater impact with your clients and change their lives because I know that's what you want please reach out and let's have a conversation. Right. Because if you start with beliefs, sometimes I think people think you're trying to brainwash them. <laughs> yeah. right? They're not really, if they don't actually kind of see the, 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 like if they don't, if they don't have the knowledge, they think they're just programming themselves with something that's not true. 
And right. So I had to prove it was true first, and then they were willing to reprogram their belief system. Yes. And evaluate the knowledge is required to evaluate your current belief system. If you don't have accurate knowledge, how do you evaluate the accuracy yeah. of what you currently believe? Right. And so very similar journey is yours as well. I started off working with weight loss and noticing that some people, a very small percentage could do very well with it and follow, you know, the protocols I was giving them and many others would hit a wall and fall off. Right. And so in my desire to continue working with my clients and helping them achieve the goals that they say that they were wanting to achieve, I started looking for what's going on here. And that's what led me down the path of NLP and understanding the power of, you know, changing belief, which, and the beliefs are even attached to values. So changing values to change beliefs, to change behaviors. And that's what gets results for people. So yes, very, very powerful. And again, it's not taught through our education system. And so people simply no. don't realize this. And let's face it, people are going about their daily lives. They're busy. They have their jobs. They're busy being spouses and raising children, et cetera, et cetera, that they haven't been exposed to this. No, and we've now become to think it's immoral to just, to just include, you know, rigorous physical activity in school from kindergarten on or preschool on, right? We all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's not fair. No, it's not fair not to do it. Right. It's not fair not to let, to sell, you know, a soda, a pop in the, in the, in the, in the schools or to not let kids bring donuts and share them. You know what I mean? So we've really become, uh, brainwashed through marketing and advertising of people who are selling things to ourselves, to adults and to children, which are deadly, deadly. The World Health Organization got lobbied and wouldn't even get rid of pop for decades. I mean, the stuff I could go on and on, the four food groups, how ridiculous it is. And so, you know, one of the things I I often ask people, Melissa, because it just kind of a, a, you know, you know, reframing again, NLP stuff, but um, is I would just say like, like, how many people already know things that they've done in the last week? Know that they they could list things that they did, which made them less healthy. Things that they ate, which made them less healthy. Activities that they engaged in, thought patterns that they engaged in, relationships that they gave or interactions. And people could just list a lot. And I say, well, what are some things that you could have done which are healthier that that you didn't do? But you would know where it would be healthier. And so everybody kind of knows I should go for more exercise, right? I should eat more vegetables. I should eat cleaner. A lot of people have been brainwashed about fat and and the old fat's bad or, you know, red meat's bad. Red meat is not bad. Red meat grown on a factory farm is bad. Real red meat is absolutely incredibly healthy. You know, I shouldn't eat the egg yolks. Yeah, you should throw away the whites for crying out loud. The yolks have all the good stuff in them. But anyway, so, so I think there is, there is some misinformation that's out there, which Absolutely. is, you know, again, where the, where, 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 you know, I, I, I found that my lectures really help people unwind from that because I could prove that that was wrong. But then the other stuff is, is that, well, why aren't you, why aren't you acting on what you already know you should like, like when you, when you have a debate with yourself about what to order at the restaurant or what to have for dinner, who are you debating with? Are you schizophrenic? Is there two of you? Like, Who's the argument with them? And I found that when I could explain to people that what what's really going on is there's an argument between your your cortex, your intellectual brain, and your subconscious beliefs. But 99% of the time, you run on autopilot, and your beliefs 
take over because that's what's attached to values, right? So when you're at the restaurant, you can plan ahead very well with your executive brain. And you say, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to eat this healthy. I'm going to exercise every day. And you can plan ahead very well a healthy life because it's your executive brain. And you can look back at your past choices very easily with your executive brain and go, that was wrong, that was wrong, that was right, that was right. So, so everybody already has this ability to plan a better life and to evaluate their past life. But when it comes at the moment of decision, a different part of our brain is engaged. It's, and, and we really make most of our decisions based on pleasure because humans are pleasure-seeking missiles. We, pleasure is the most important part of the human experience. And so we will, we will do anything for pleasure. And so if your pleasure source is food and you've anchored pleasure to unhealthy food instead of anchoring pleasure to healthy food, you'll go with the unhealthy. So it's really at the end of the day, what we anchor pleasure to is the most important thing. What do you anchor pleasure to? And are you willing to be temporarily uncomfortable for a long-term gain? Can you delay gratification? Like I, I, I tell people, you know, you should intermittent fast because it's just so important and there's lots of reasons for it. But, and they'll go, well, I'm hungry. I'm like, but who cares? Like you haven't taught yourself to say, who cares? I'm hungry. It doesn't matter. I'm not dying. Right. I, my tummy grumble. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It means your tummy grumbles. So I love but, to tell them that it means their cleaners have come out to play and they're actually allowing their body to clean. So celebrate it and don't eat for a little bit more and let that happen. And what it means is that your cells are being emptied out. Exactly. Of, of the, all this glucose so that the next time you eat, it, the glucose has a place to go in the cell rather than to adipose tissue. And you're learning how to burn fat. And I mean, there's a million good things about it, right? And so, yeah, but it's just funny. We're conditional. We got, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Who, who made that up? Oh, yeah, the breakfast cereal companies, right, <laughs> who sell literally death, you know, which what, what is breakfast cereal? It's sugar with dairy. I mean, it's honestly, you could make any, you could take the healthiest human being on earth and feed them that, make them sick in a very short period of time. And so the, the myths of their like, thing is, is last year there was actually research that came out, and this is where you know, to your point, the marketers can say anything. They can twist the research to say whatever they want, because this research came out of one of the big name universities in the U.S. saying Lucky Charms was the healthiest breakfast cereal you could feed your child. Lucky Charms. Yet the same institutions who said sugar is doesn't give you uh, doesn't cause you to be obese. Sugar doesn't cause cholesterol or heart problems because they got bribed. It's, they, it came out. They, they, you know, John Hopkins got caught. Same with the tobacco, all that stuff when they said it didn't cause cancer. Sadly, everything has been bought. I mean, what a what a what a what a sad commentary. Um, you know, really, it's almost depressing if you don't realize this. It's okay because you got common sense. You don't need all these people telling you how how great they are and what experts they are and how much they because you can use common sense and win every time. Common sense is what's gotten us here. We wouldn't have survived as a species without common sense and, and knowledge passed on from our ancestors. Um, and honestly, um, you cannot trust these, these, these people anymore. I mean, most people still, they'll go to a medical doctor and a medical doctor say, oh, you need to drink milk for healthy bones. I mean, the nonsense that's out there, right? Or they'll say your, your baby needs formula. You know, you yes. know, don't touch your breast milk. Your baby needs formula. And I, you know, I would say to people, bring the formula in, and then I'd get them to read the ingredients out loud. And they'd be like, I'm not feeding that to my baby. I said, thank God. Right? Yes. Breast milk. But I mean, so 
once you realize, once you once you start to expose the misinformation that's being disseminated in the so-called healthcare system and how wrong they've been about so many things, you kind of end up with the thing is which is I'm going to rely on my common sense. I'm going to rely on trauma care. Be very yes. grateful we have it. Yep. I'm going to rely on some pain medications at end of life if we need it or if I break my leg or, or have some trauma. Thank goodness for all those wonderful things. And in terms of chronic health or chronic sickness, I'm going to use my common sense. And if you follow that rule, you will live a longer, better life, period, according to the literature and common sense. 100%. And uh, something that I was looking at recently is the blue zones, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And a lot of research has gone into why those people living longer and looking at their lifestyles and all the factors of it, their stress levels, their nutrition, their exercise, their community, their mindset, et cetera, et cetera. And for those that don't know, the blue zones are the areas in the world. There's five of them where there's more centenarians or people living to a hundred than anywhere else in the world. And Okinawa is one of those areas. And I was actually raised in Japan. I've been to Okinawa several, several times. And what I just learned sadly the other day is that Okinawa is no longer considered a blue zone. So what's changed? Their genes or their lifestyle? Exactly. Not their genes. Of course it's not. their lifestyle and the impact of a U.S. military base. Of course. That is a huge percentage of their population so huge a percentage of their population that they actually drive on the right-hand side of the road in Okinawa, even though it's part of Japan and the rest of the country drives on the left-hand side of the road. And so yeah. look at the fast food restaurants that have popped up. Exactly. Look, at how, look at what's in the grocery stores and what's available. Exactly. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's so away from the traditional right? Japanese diet of, you know, high fish, high plant-based meal right. food into fast food because it's there. And unfortunately, I guess it's Hollywood that has made it seem like North America is the best and everybody wants to be aspire to be like the North Americans. And so if these fast food chains come over from North America, they want it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, there's, there's PhD biochemists in a lab making that stuff taste good. They put chemicals in it that, I mean, watch supersize me. The guy, when he first ate yes. McDonald's vomited and by within 28 days, the only time he felt good was when he was eating it. I mean, these things are, I mean, it's despicable. But, you know, I want to say, um, if, if, if I may, Melissa, just point something out, which is one of the one of the things people do incorrectly about these blue zones is that they think, oh, you know, they, they eat this Himalayan sea salt or they have this one food that that's not it. So yeah. so so if you look at the, the diet of those Japanese people, it's very different than the diet, say, of the aboriginals who basically live or, or the Native Americans here who are all, by the way, the same thing. They only died from trauma. Right. Right. Most, if they didn't die from trauma, they had to have, they were all, there was a lot of centenaries, right? Yes. And so it's that they were living right for their species type. So, so living right for your species type isn't about having the same foods. It's about getting the same nutrients. Right. Humans, because of our genome, require the same essential nutrients. But, but people all around the world, you know, again, in Africa, we had very different foods to, to supply our essential nutrients than when we did when we migrated to the Arctic. Right. Or to North America. Absolutely. Uh, or to South America. So so I don't I, I always try to caution people to say it. Don't try and look for a magic food. It's not the food. It's the it's are you getting sufficient amount of the essential nutrients? Um, you know, and that was a huge part of me developing my essential nutrient system, which w w was hmm. because there was some nutrients that were just missing in our diet, which we genetically require. And there's lots of essential nutrients that we're not missing because we can get them from our 
average, you know, industrial diet. But there are some that we're just absolutely missing. And and the hidden hunger of essential nutrient deficiency is devastating to people. Yes. And it's so easily solved, right? And I always say you start with the easy things first. Solve the easy things first. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And and so, um, you know, we can look at we can look at tribes. We can you know, Okinawa is another example. We can look at the Maasai. When they move into the city in Nairobi, all of a sudden they're obese and they're having all heart disease. And when they're out, you know, you know, drinking basically, you know, water buffalo blood and 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 milk, and they they have no obesity, they have no diabetes. There was not a single case of obesity anywhere in North America or Mexico before Whitey showed up with the white plague, which is, you know, white people came and said, you should eat white flour and white sugar and drink white milk. And when you get sick, go see the white dude in a white coat and get a white pill, <laughs> the white plague. And how did that go? Devastating. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then they said, Oh, you have a genetic predisposition to diabetes. What are you talking about? It didn't exist in the tribe for 10,000 years. And the genes are the same. This is asinine thinking, right? And you know, the first thing you learn in healthcare is, is family history. Family history is just fraud. It's basically saying that that if your parents had something that you're going to get it because it's passed on from Jesus, not passed on from Jesus, passed on because you live, you eat, move and think like them. You learn from them how to eat. And if you go back far enough, it, there was no high cholesterol. There was no high blood pressure. It's just it just drives me crazy. These these things that people have just bought into, you know, and, um, and you know, not, again, when, when you can emancipate people from this misinformation, um, they're they're much more likely to start pursuing the common sense approach, which is actually the most evidence-based approach as well. Um, but you have to emancipate them from the authority, right? You have to diminish the authority of the people who are dispelling misinformation first. And that's hard because they own everything. Yes. They own the books, they own the schools, they, they own, own the, the education, they own the TV, they own everything, Yes. right? And they're the richest people in the history of earth. It's the biggest industry in the history of earth. Every morning in every town, right, in every city, there are millions of pills consumed every morning at the breakfast table. Millions and millions of I, I say, just imagine, there's just this cannon of pills being shot out over the city and people are just gobbling them up every morning and we've never been sicker. Yes. And, what, and you know what they say? We just need a better pill. We just need to keep doing research because we just don't have the right pill yet. But maybe next year we'll get the pill that'll solve the problem caused by improper nutrition. Or we'll get the pill that'll solve the problems caused by not enough exercise or self-love or self-esteem or social connection. How can a pill ever fix that? Or too much toxicity, et cetera. Correct. How can a pill ever fix that? It's a, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous viewpoint. So they never ask that question. What they say is, can the pill change blood pressure? The answer is yes. So that's all they get you to focus on. And they focus on one body part or organ at a time. Sure. And of course, they, they don't factor in how that impacts another organ that impacts another organ. And then before you know it, people are on three, four, five, six, seven pills as a result of the first. But most importantly, they don't, they don't ask the question, which is, why, why is any organ not functioning properly? What is the cause? And so they, they say, well, the, the cause isn't nutrition. It's not lack of exercise. They all know it's a lie, right? They deep down, everybody does. But they go, no, you're defective. You can't self-regulate. You have a bad gene, so we've got to give you a pill. No, you need to exercise more. And imagine if the system was changed so that every time you turned on the television, you got an ad for the importance of exercise. 
and it showed the data on how it beat all the blood pressure pills, all the cholesterol pills, all the blood sugar pills, by far, in a head-to-head, they beat all the antidepressants, and walk beats antidepressants. Every time they got, and then, by the way, every time you, we, we wanted something uh, in terms of care or an intervention, they paid for lifestyle intervention. It was covered by all the insurance, but the drugs weren't. Imagine if it just got reversed. Imagine. Right? All the experts and the authority, everybody would be doing lifestyle, right? And imagine if we actually had those ads during children's television programs so that we could be teaching that to the children at a very young age, that they would just grow up and think that was natural and normal. And it was in the curriculum in elementary schools. Instead, yes. of the little, instead of the book for little kids that says, when you don't feel well, go to the doctor and get a pill. It's in every book and every elementary school. It was like, you need to make sure you feed your body properly. You need to exercise every day. You know, I remember doing a talk for the school, the whole school district here in Victoria early on and in, 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 in doing this. And um, I think it was grade sixes. I did grade sixes for the whole school district. Of course, the teachers right. were there. It was, it was done in, a, I think it was a big gym in one of the schools or something. Right. And I remember saying to the kids, you know, would you feed your puppy Coca-Cola or water? And all the kids were like, well, well, water. And I said, well, would you, would you, would you make your puppy watch TV all day? Or would you take it out for a walk? What would you do? And they're like, yeah, of course we, you know, and I said, right. Would you love your puppy all the time and tell it how beautiful it is and wonderful and just hug it up every day? Or would you, would you tell it it's not good enough? And, and they're all like, yeah. And I said, okay, so how many people take their dogs for a walk and leave their kids at home? How many of them feed their kids Coca-Cola but wouldn't feed it to their dog? Right? And I and I always tell the story. There was a guy in um, Kentucky who uh, t- was taking my courses early on, early 2000s. And um, he gave me an article and because I always would mention this. And he gave me an article. And it was um, the, the animal rights activists um, took the, the dogs away from a family. They confiscated the dogs for cruelty because they were feeding the dogs Coca-Cola and chips. But they left the kids in the home eating the same thing. So the dogs so, have more protection than the people, in other words. Don't feed that to the dog, honey. Those chips are for you. They're bad for the dog. This yeah. is how we've been, this is how warped we are. Yes. And so how cruel that you don't let your kid eat junk food. That's so mean, you know, and it's just like, no, it's the opposite, right? But yes. but but they just keep spending more money and more money telling you, how do you reward your kid? You reward your kid with junk food. You know, you did something good, so here's a chocolate bar. You, you know, you get a special treat. You get to have this Coca-Cola or the, I keep blaming Coca-Cola, I shouldn't, but Pepsi or whatever these bloody pops are. And so it's just like we've just been conditioned like Pavlov's dog, right? We over and over with this propaganda and advertising. And now – when people step back and look at this, they, they just are horrified at what we've become. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back to what you were saying earlier, too, just in regards to what if we flipped it on its head and did it the other way? If we go yeah. back to ancient China and ancient India, the doctors didn't get paid if their villagers got sick. Correct. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, but they could do that because you know, those villages were all eating, moving and thinking in ways that were congruent, right? I mean, that's, exactly. the, that's the difference, right? So, um, I, and I the mean, doctor's role was prevention. The doctor's role was education to ensure they stayed healthy. And there's none of that today, unfortunately. No, and they weren't preventing chronic illness. There was no need to prevent chronic illness because there was none. They were, they were preventing, you know, infection. They were preventing, you know, you know, uh, from wounds, they were they were preventing accidents because the truth is there was no chronic illness. If you took chronic illness out of our population, 
the hospitals would be empty. Yes. The doctor's offices would be empty. The only people who would go there were people who had trauma. But you could easily take chronic illness out of our population. It's been it's proven beyond any shadow of a doubt. It's you just can't do it with pills and surgery. Right. But you could completely remove it. I can remove chronic illness from anybody. And they just won't do it. Why? Oh, it's too cruel to ask people to go for a walk. I remember watching an interview with Dean Horace. She's the only person in the history of the world who has reversed atherosclerosis, right? He didn't just stop it from advancing. He reversed it. How did he do it? He did it with lifestyle. And then they basically said, well, we can't tell people to exercise because it's too dangerous. It's not safe. <laughs> you know, we can't, honestly, and, and, you, and, you, and you watch him, and, and, you know, he's a cardiologist, and he just pulls his hair, and he said, if this was a drug, it'd be standard of care overnight. The results are so incredible. But he said, but they'll fight against it. So the, if you if, if you actually think that these like health agencies have are evidence based and, and and are actually producing health, then then I'm afraid um, you've been fooled. It's just not true. Sadly, sadly, that breaks my heart to say it, but it's true. And I love how you're here, just telling people how it is and getting people to open their eyes, open their minds to maybe there is another way. And you talk about the insurance world as well. And to me, that is just another absolute proof in the pudding of the fact that what's happening now isn't working. And if so, somebody is all the way at this point of the interview and still isn't sure, can you share the insurance world with them, please? Well, yeah. I mean, well, it's really interesting because in, in most places, it's it's now illegal to charge people more money because they're sick for health insurance. You can charge them more for life insurance, right. but you can't for health insurance, right? They consider that to be immoral, um, which is bizarre because if you drive recklessly, you get charged more for car insurance, right? If you live right. recklessly, you get charged more for life insurance. But they will not put any self-responsibility on people because, you know, I mean, well, you could figure out why I, I, I won't I won't get into, into it. But... Um, you know, so so the people with the most data in the world are insurance actuaries. Um, they they have data from millions upon millions, more than could be in any scientific study, right? They just have millions and millions of of people that they can that they've been collecting data from for for decades. And so what you know, I only, I always say to people, think about this when you go to get um, life insurance. And so, what do you do when you apply for life insurance? You, you have to go through, you have to get tested. Why? It's a screening test. And what's the screening test for? Well, it's to find out. People think, well, it's to find out how, how sick I am or how healthy I am. No, it's to find out what are the chances that you're going to cost the insurance company money. So what they're really looking at is, what you know, if it's life insurance, what they're looking at is, what, what are the chances that you're going to die early enough that we don't get our money back in premiums, right, before you die? So it's a, it, it's a bad investment. And if it's going to be a bad investment, they charge you a lot more for your premiums because they figured out down to the dollar what they need to charge you to make sure that they make money, that they collect more money than they pay out every year. That's how you make money as an insurance company, obviously. And so they've had to be very, very meticulous about the data they collect and what they charge people. And so what's really interesting is, is that if you took two people in there, even if they were genetically identical twins, I was talking about this yesterday in another podcast. I'm trying to get just to spell the, the mythology of, 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 of genes. But anyway, so, so, so if you took two genetically identical twins and they both went to apply for life insurance and all of theirs, they, they were the same age, obviously, because they're twins. Neither of them smoke. None of them are 
drink too heavily. They don't take any, um, you know, they're not, uh, they, their blood pressure scores are the same. Their cholesterol scores are the same. Their blood sugar scores are the same. All the tests they, they do for life insurance to screen you, all of their scores on their screening tests were identical. Would they pay the same for life insurance? Yes. Maybe. Unless one of them has normal blood pressure because they're on blood pressure medication. Ah. They have normal cholesterol because they're on cholesterol medication. So in the, in the medical world, they have healthy blood sugar. They have healthy blood uh, pressure. They have healthy blood uh, lipids. Right? All said in quotation marks for the listeners here. Of course, because even now the diagnosis of metabolic syndrome is you either have normal cholesterol or you have normal cholesterol with medication. Pardon me, you either have high cholesterol, this is for a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome. You either have high cholesterol or you have normal cholesterol with medication. Both of those are the same risk factor right? for metabolic syndrome. It's incredible. So proving, of course, that lowering those levels with the drug does not make anybody healthy. But here's what's interesting. It doesn't it decrease your chance of dying. The life insurance companies charge you more if you have completely normal blood work with medication than the somebody who has completely normal blood work without medication. Why? Because they know you're not healthy. They know that your chance of costing them more money next year. And by the way, even in health insurance, they know full well that once people go into that system and start getting medicated, they never come out and they never cost less money the next year. Once you're diagnosed and go into that system for chronic illness, you can be sure of two things, actually three. One, you're never going to get well. Two, you're going to cost more money every year. And three, you're going to live a shorter life than if you had changed your lifestyle. 100% accurate statement. I will defend it against anybody in any place, anytime. No problem. So think about that's our system. And we don't, we don't allow people to pay more money for being uh, obese, for eating junk food all day, for smoking all day, for drinking all day, for never exercising. They will never let them pay more for their health insurance because they say it's not moral to have people responsible. But what I'll tell you, it's immoral not to, because that's an incentive for people to be well. Exactly. Instead of just the pill. But they're great customers. But whoever goes into that system with the chronic illness diagnosis, right? Whoever goes into that system with high blood pressure, high blood sugar, high cholesterol, right? And comes out after five years healthy. In nope. fact, we now know for sure with unequivocal data that they that they will be on, on if they start on one medication they will increase the number of medications the drug cascade they will increase it and the average person now i think over the age of 50 is on is on three and over 60 is five I, that might not be exactly right but it's very close and so that's and and are they healthy on those five medications nope <laughs> absolutely will they ever get healthy taking those medications no, they got to get off the medications and change their lifestyle to do so in order to get healthy. Of course they do. So, so again, if, you, if you're not addressing the cause of the problem, all you're doing is giving people this drug and, 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 the, and all the things that are causing their, their, their sickness are still in place. All you've done is added drugs to a sick person. That's it. That's what they do. They add drugs to a sick person. Now, what happens if you add drugs to a healthy person? Do they get healthier or sicker? They get sicker. 
What happens when you add drugs to a sick person? Do they get healthier or sicker? They, they get, get sicker, sicker with a better score on a test that's meant to justify the drug. So I, I love everything that you share and teach. And it's just the way you do it to me, it's so obvious that I hope every single listener here, many of them are already aware of this, but if there's new listeners that aren't, I hope that it's opening their eyes. And I know that you also have a lifestyle health ass assessment. In fact, it's the world's first ever. And mm -hmm. I bought it the other day and I took it and it's very detailed and excellent and gives you action steps that you can be taking in order to start improving your lifestyle. So if you want to share a little bit about that and also how people can get a hold of you. Sure. So once you once you realize that all all the testing in the allopathic world is based on effects, right? Like your blood pressure is an effect, um, your cholesterol levels is an effect, your moods are an effect. Everything's an effect of how you eat, move, and think, right? Your habitat and and the lifestyle choices you make within that habitat. That's what determines your physiology. Your physiology, your state of health, is the genetic expression of your environment and lifestyle choices. That's biological fact. That's true for all living things. Period. Biological fact irrefutable fact so what i what i realized is you know when i started learning about um allostasis and allostatic load and epigenetics was that there was not in place anywhere a, a a health risk or a test that actually measured the causes rather than the effects and of course if you swim upstream no matter what you're going to get to the cause the ultimate cause which is always how we eat move and think and socially interact People go, what about sleep? And I go, sleep is an effect. I understand it. I talk about it. But but the fact of the matter is, if you're not sleeping well, that's a symptom. It's not an issue. So don't work on your sleep. Work on your how you eat, move, and think. And, of course, make sure your room's dark and don't look at a screen. And there's some other things to do. But um, So I created a lifestyle health center. And, and, I, and I always give credit where credit is due to, to Dr. Bruce McEwen, who's passed on now. But Dr. Bruce McEwen is probably one of the most – eminent neurophysiologist in the history of the world. He, he, he was a professor at Georgetown University. He really was one of the founders of the concept of allostatic load and allostasis. Him and, and uh, Teresa Seaman out of UCLA, uh, George Shulkin out of, um, out of Georgetown, and, and Peter Sterling out of uh, University of Pennsylvania, if I remember. And um, so I ended up being in contact with, uh, in fact, it's just a funny story. I was, I was lecturing to a group of chiropractors over in London, England, and one of the chiropractors I was sharing this stuff on allostatic load, and one of these guys said, got a hold of Bruce McEwen and said, I just learned all about your stuff from this chiropractor named, you know, Dr. James Chestnut. You know, you wouldn't believe it. And then Bruce McEwen, actually, you know, a gentleman and a scholar, got back to him and said, oh, really? I, there's so few people teaching us that that thrills me. Put us in touch. So I emailed him. He was in his 80s at the time. And I emailed him. He emailed me back, you know instantly almost you know and then we had this incredible dialogue and he was so encouraging about um what i was doing i sent him i sent him um you know excerpts from a book and and um, what you know i hadn't written the, the 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 layperson book yet but and so he would just kept encouraging me you're exactly right you're exactly right and and, and i was saying we got to measure lifestyle he's like you're exactly right you're exactly right so i always give credit to him because he was just such a kind open-minded man um you know, sometimes there's some prejudice against chiropractors, obviously, and I don't know whether it's the fact that I was teaching this stuff or that, you know, so clearly I understood this stuff um, and that, that, that we, we shared a paradigm, right? Because mm -hmm. a big part of allostasis is 
you know, people's internal regulatory mechanisms are intact. So why are we intervening with drugs when it doesn't address the cause? I mean, he's really, I mean, we, we just resonated with each other. So anyway, I like to give credit where credit is due. So what I did was I developed a lifestyle um, health risk assessment. And so you can do blood work if you like, you can do the physical testing if you like, or you can just do the questionnaire. Of course, we did so many of these. We now know that the questionnaire itself, if it's if, if people are honest, is as accurate as the blood work. Right. Because the blood work's an effect of the, and but the reason we include blood work if some practitioners want is because we can prove that as you change your lifestyle, your blood work changes. And some people are find that hard to believe, so we could just prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. But as you know, you don't need to do the blood work, and it's it's very informative because what it does is it allows you to realize what is causing you to be unwell or well, and that's only how you eat, move, and think. And what I wanted to make unique about it is most tests are 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 just a test. They're, they're not an intervention. They're just a test. But I wanted this to be an intervention as well. So what I did was I also, um, this took, I mean, you can't imagine the years this took to, to, to create it, but, 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 and the money, but, but the, but the, the, um, based on what your scores are, you can go to the improving my score, um, thing on the, on the, on the, on the website and you can now learn what, what changes to make to get yourself healthy. So you don't need to pay me. Right. Uh, you know, what, what's the health risk? Is that 25 bucks or something? So for $25, yes. you get this and a discount if you put in podcast 20 because you get 20% off. I do that for all the podcasts. You can get this incredibly informative assessment and it'll tell you exactly what to do to make it better. And then if you, if, if you struggle with that, then I also have an, an online 90 day lifestyle plan, which takes you through how to eat, move, and think every day for 90 days as well. But, um, yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty simple. So if people go to eatwellmovewellthinkwell.com, they can get that lifestyle health risk assessment, and you, they'll get you know emails so they can go to the link on improving my score and say how to improve. They'll get they'll, again if they enter in podcast twenty, they'll get twenty percent off. The essential nutrient system is all there as well. I really encourage people to do that. Um, yeah, so I appreciate the I appreciate the plug, um, but I think it's really eye opening for people when they. When, when, when they do that. And of course, if they go get blood work done, they're never told about what's causing that blood work. Right. Right. It's you just, know? here's the pill. <laughs> That's right. And uh, as I said, I did buy it. I did uh, take the assessment and it is incredibly detailed and all the information is there. So it's a fabulous tool for people to use. And I highly recommend that everybody go to eat well, think well, move well. Nope. Eat oh. well, move well, think well. Okay. Eatwellthinkwell.com. Yeah. And use podcast 20 to get the discount and do that for yourself. If you do nothing more after listening to this podcast, just be open-minded enough to go and do that assessment. And it's not about doing everything all at once. No. It's about what can you do today of the list of things and just get started and take baby steps. And over the course of a year of taking baby steps of doing one thing and mastering it and moving to the next thing, you will notice a profound difference in how you feel and how you love your life. Exactly. And, and um, they can also subscribe to a free newsletter. And when they do that, they get a bunch of hints on how to start. Things. Awesome. Like there's a thing, there's a th- there's a button that says I want to get started. And then they can do, you know, a real gradual. I always say if it's not easy and comfortable and gradual, it's unlikely to be successful. So we always, and I always start by adding positives first. Never take away the negatives in your life because they're there for pleasure. And if right. you take away your pleasure sources, even if they're unhealthy pleasure sources, your life gets worse. 
And you yes. don't want to anchor feeling worse to getting healthier. And that's right. what all these people who have this belief system is too hard. That's because they're doing it incorrectly. So if you add positives first, add healthy things first, and and then the other things will go away on their own as you replace your source of pleasure, right? Um, that's really important. So if they if they subscribe to the free newsletter and they don't get they don't get marketed all the time for stuff, I just not not that guy. But but it's a free monthly newsletter. Then look back at all the past ones, and then they'll also get those kind of um, gradual, easy steps to get started as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. James, to be on this show today and just continue to educate people about the reality of where we're at in our world today when it comes to your health and that our health is our own responsibility. Stop giving it up, giving up your power to someone else and believing you need to be fixed. You're not broken. Look at what you can do to move forward. And Dr. James provides you so many answers in this episode and in his lifestyle assessment. So thank you again for being here. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get this information out to people. It's life-changing. It is life-changing. And to my audience, please, if I can just ask every single person to share this episode with at least one more, if not 10 more people that you love and care about and whose lives you can change because you shared this important information. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back again next week. Thank you for investing this time with me on the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I'm so glad you joined in. If you can take two minutes to share this episode with someone you think can benefit and have a positive impact on their life, that would be wonderful. Please leave a review by going to your favorite podcast listening app and let me know what you enjoy or would like to hear more of. It will support me in my effort to bring the possibility of natural healing to a wider audience and help disrupt the sick care system we have today and make human health a global priority. Health is your true wealth.